pterodactyl thrill and inspiring your trumpet journey, here's your host, James Newcomb. Tony is about to finish his graduate studies at the University of Oregon. In fact, by the time this podcast is released, he'll have finished. And uh, on the release date of June 15th, uh, for this podcast, he is releasing his album, Bad Boy. So, uh, and this is his third album as a band leader. Oh, by the way, at the ripe old age of 22. So, Tony, get us up to speed. What's going on in your world? Well, as you said, I have two weeks left of my master's education at the University of Oregon. I've been a graduate teaching fellow, so it's been a privilege to be teaching and be getting my school to pay for. Um, and when I'm done with that, like you said, I, on June 15th, day of this podcast release, I have a new record, Bad Boy. It's live live record, live at the Jazz Station, which is a hip little uh, venue in Eugene, Oregon, which is where I'm currently residing. And that's that's a venue that's been an important part of my musical growth that's where kind of all the guys are playing down there so that's uh, that's my story right now I'm about to finish school coming out with a new record um should be slamming <laughs> hope you all enjoy it and uh plan after that is to do a whole bunch of record release uh performances i'm gonna go on a little mini tour in california and then do some performances in oregon that'll take me through june and july and then keep keep on the grind keep keep doing all the performances the youtube i'm running a youtube channel i also teach and um i get commissioned for compositions so i'm going to just keep doing my thing keep freelancing hard uh, after school's done it'll, i think it'll be nice to have that <laughs> the burden of school off my shoulders <laughs> they say that luck is when opportunity meets preparation yeah and uh you've been been slaving away and um man got some I, I foresee some great opportunities coming your way. Thank you. All right. So this podcast talks about peak performance for musicians. And um, sometimes to reach the peak, we have to go through the valleys. So every interview, I start out with what you consider to be one of your worst performance moments. And it uh, doesn't have to be like your lips quit working or anything. But it's just a time when you expected... You thought you had it put together, and you expected that you were going to play well, and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Tell us a story like that. Mm-hmm. I can think of a lot of examples. As can many people. Right. As That's, can everybody. Yeah, the, the first thing I'm sure people say, well, I don't know, I have a million. So I definitely have a million of those, but um, I think if I were to just choose one, it would be the one where it was a true train wreck. Like, like you said, I mean, I've had moments where my chops just weren't working, and Totally got through the performance, but I listened back to a recording or whatever and go, man, that was sad. <laughs> you know, just what a bummer or what have you. But the one that was really a train wreck was back in high school. I was 15 years old. I had braces, you know, typical struggle. I was at a master class at Portland State University performing for Charlie Schluter. Um, and he got up and played... See, no, I think this is after me. So what happened is some guy got up and played, sounded great. Another guy got up and played, sounded great. And it was in February or March. It was like two months before the solo, the state solo competition. And I was one of the finalists. So in you're state. in high school at this time. I was in high school at okay. this time, yeah. And I was one of the state solo finalists. And the two guys who played before me were also state solo finalists. 
they got up and they sounded amazing. Oh, wow, these guys are, you know, a whole lot better than me. You know, I was 15 years old. They were 17, 18, and they really had it together. And so I was a little bit intimidated. And I got up to play. I was third. And I hadn't played in three days, which is no big deal. You know, these days it's, it's, it's a little bit easier for me to get over time off. <laughs> but back then I think I was just since things, I didn't really have my chops together. Taking three days off was a big deal. You know, yeah. I, was, I think I was doing this class on a Monday. Um, you know, I just hadn't played over the weekend. I mean, when you're 15 sure. years old, you're not, really, I mean, most people aren't really practicing a whole bunch. So, you know, I was, I think I was a good player, but I hadn't really established a, a, a routine and I hadn't really set myself up with the fundamentals to be able to take three days off and, and have it together. So, you know, needless to say, I, I came in super raw, uh, played, I was playing, what was I playing? I was playing the Kent Kennan Sonata. Sure. And um, I get through one page. I think there were four four pages, three or four pages in the first movement. I get through one page and then he cuts me off. Uh-oh. And it's because it was that bad. I got to the point where I just couldn't, I couldn't sustain a note. I couldn't play a high note. Like it was like your typical crash and burn sort of trumpet moment. And, you know, it was embarrassing. You know, I, I don't think I... Was, got super hot and sweaty about it but i just thought wow that's that's a, that's a big bummer and then he hit me to a couple of things you know he talked about how my tuning slide could be pushed in and that whole thing and maybe i was exhausting myself trying to lip up everything and you know he was thinking yeah maybe you haven't played for a while so maybe you're pulling your tuning slide out in order to you know compensate for how tight you are because you're just not relaxed or whatever and it was it was eye-opening there were a lot of good pieces of advice that he was able to offer me and more than anything, I think I took away that I just need to get consistent. Um, but but then he then he goes, and he goes. See, the thing is, everybody, uh, you don't need to be practicing every day uh, to keep it together. And then he goes up and he goes. You know, I haven't played for three days. And he goes up and he plays the Ketting Entrada, which is just a solo trumpet piece, and he crushes it. And you know that kind of made me mad, but it also was inspiring. I was like, man, I want to get to the point where I have my my technique and my fundamentals together to the point where I'm not. I'm not freaking out before I'm performing. I'm not wondering if it's going to all work out. And so I think I learned a lot in that experience, but that was definitely one of my lower points. And I've had, <laughs> again, moments like that, but never a crash and burn where I, where I stop in the middle of the performance. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. It's bad when people stop you. It's, they stop me. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a master class, so it's not super, super formal. But it's still a performance. The idea is to get through the whole piece and then talk about it. And <laughs> yeah, I didn't make it. And it was it was cool. But it's funny because... I took I took his advice to heart and I was able to win the state solo competition that year which was okay. in in my analysis kind of a miracle because I really sounded bad that day and all the other guys sounded really good and it was probably weird for them to hear me hear that I had won because I really couldn't play that day but I think that's a testament to like how frustrated I was with myself and was able to just like kick it into gear and take it to the next level. So yeah, that master class is probably probably more nerve wracking than playing in front of ten thousand people that you don't know. Oh, I think so. especially because everybody's a trumpet player there. Yes. Everybody's a trumpet player is probably people that you might not like. Yeah, <laughs> or and you and you get up and you're the third person to play, and the people before you sounded way better. Right. <laughs> I mean, and you just know that they're better. And it's like cool. <laughs> this is fun. So, but since then, I yeah, like I said, I think I've been able to just kind of get over that. Just not worry. Yeah, okay. That guy sounded great. Cool. I'm gonna do my thing. You know, you just get more confident in your voice, and again, your 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 abilities to just play the horn. So when did you choose? When 
it sounds to me like you have some classical background. Mm-hmm. When did you focus primarily on jazz? When did you make that decision? About a year later. It was like okay. my junior year. I had some friends. I hadn't really ever improvised other than getting kind of forced to in like a middle school jazz band type um, setting. But I had been writing a lot of music, so the idea of generating my own you know, ideas was not totally foreign. Um, so I was, I guess somewhat comfortable as an improviser but i just had no idea what jazz was about or what the language was or the history or anything and so it was my junior year of high school when i had a couple friends invite me to join some conglomerate youth ensemble so i joined the portland youth jazz orchestra and then my following that was in the spring term of my junior year and then in the fall term of my senior year i joined the metropolitan youth symphony jazz band so i was in two conglomerate you know regional portland jazz big bands and then I also started taking private lessons um, my senior year in jazz improvisation. Describe when you're playing jazz. Describe the feeling when everything is just going perfectly. What's it? What's it like? Uh, can you? Yeah. Is, is that something you can even describe? Yeah. When I feel like things are perfect, you know whatever that means. <laughs> right. I think that I feel relaxed physically and mentally. I'm not too focused on the music and getting neurotic, but I'm also not. Um, my mind isn't elsewhere. So I'm able to just kind of tune in to what I'm doing and really listen to the band. And that's when I feel like things are going really well is when everything with the trumpet is, is going fine. Um, and again, I'm able to like physically and mentally relax and just connect with the band. That's when I feel like I'm just floating. And then, of course, after each tune is done or whatever, and I'm able to connect with the audience and the audience gives me that warm response that we're always looking for, <laughs> that's Again, that's kind of the cherry on top. That's when it's like, ooh, you know, I'm feeling good. First and foremost, I feel good. I'm thinking, you know, well. Um, I'm able to connect with the band, and then the audience is digging it. And and that's when things... Can, you remember, I can you remember the first time that you ever experienced something like that? I mean, the first time that I can remember was in... It was about two years ago in June... Yeah, I did a. It was it was right before I was about to record my first record. I did a sort of CD hype performance where I, you know, invited people to come and uh, check out the music that we were going to record. It was just all in preparation for the recording, and I, you know, I asked for donations and that whole thing. So it was like a CD fundraiser type event, and it was at the jazz station. And yeah, I don't know for whatever reason. I mean, I had been I was done with school for that that year like it was on we were on summer break and so all the stress and all that had just gone out the window so my body i think was physically super relaxed mentally it was music i just had been playing for so long i just knew knew what was going to come the band we've been playing together for three years so it was like everything was just i knew it was going to happen so again my mind was able to relax and i was just focusing on making the best music with the ensemble Mm. that i could and the audience was warm and so I, i i really do remember that experience and sometimes i'm like man i wish i could get back to that that time because I I remember I mean I I think I'm easily two years a better performer at this point yeah um, all things considered but I don't know if I've had that relaxing of an experience <laughs> and and satisfactory um, performance since then you know again I I think if I I listen to my playing now and I listen to it two years ago I enjoy what I'm playing more now because I think again I'm I've I've advanced but the feeling it hasn't quite been the same so that was definitely time for me i can remember times when uh i play i played something and it was just so great 
it's, it's a totally connection with the audience, and it was just amazing. And then I tried to do the same thing in a totally different scenario. And the truth is, I played better the second time, but it was completely dead. Like, I think I played a hymn at my aunt's funeral. And that's why it was so, so warm and so, uh, just, it was just a magical moment. And then I played the same song for a different audience, totally different, and it was just like falling, it was like playing into a brick wall. Huh. Yeah. Just absolutely no connection. No, I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. We're recording this on Wednesday the 31st, and we're here at uh, the ITG conference. And Tony is actually participating in, what is it, the youth jazz? or I guess the collegiate. Collegiate level jazz competition. jazz competition, yeah. <laughs> okay. So is this something that would be meaningful for you to, to win, or is it just another yeah, feather in your cap? Or? I mean, there's a little... Um, you know, financial takeaway too, okay. which is nice. Um, but it would be a huge honor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a resume builder for whatever that's worth as a freelancer. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, it's kind of something it's, it's more just, um, it just lets you know as a performer that kind of you're on the right track, you know, what's your plan for, we're 48 hours away from playing. What What is your game plan for making sure that you are at your, bring your a game. When well, it comes showtime on Friday. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to what I was saying about that performance that felt super nice, yeah. um, I'm just going to try to get relaxed. There you go. And just get comfortable. I mean, that's really all it is, is you just want to be comfortable. But you need a certain amount of, like, energy, hype. You know, like you think of, sp- sp- like, athletes. You know, I mean, they need to be relaxed. Their muscles need to be warm and mm-hmm. worked, not overworked. And there need to be f- they need to be physically and mentally in a place where they can go out and crush it, but they need the energy, uh, they, but they can't have too much energy. So it's just this balance. Yeah. So I'm just going to spend the next two days basically balancing my life out, you know, getting rest, make sure I'm eating, drinking water, practicing not too much, just, just getting ready and just hope to keep things consistent so that I go in there and it's just a consistently, you know, it's a successful performance of mine. It's just, it's just me, you know, that's, so that's my plan. Is this like a thing with people your age? To is this is this something that is a coveted award? Or I think it's a big deal. Is it? So you know, by the time this is out, the results will be this will be in. But yeah. um, yeah, I think it's a it's a huge honor. Cool. Yeah. So I'm excited. All right. Well, let's uh, take a little break to thank our sponsor, and we'll be right back in a jiffy. Tony, you are not on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat? I can stand the heat. All right. Five minutes before you go on stage for a performance, what are you doing? Deep breathing. Playing, if I have the ability, playing on my trumpet with huge breaths and really nice breath use, you know, like really using my air to get a sound. Uh, If I can play loud, playing loud and full. Um, If I can't, then playing soft and controlled um, and just using the whole register of the horn, just getting everywhere, just feeling good. Um, Sometimes pacing, trying to distract myself mentally, you know, not think about it. I don't usually get terrible nerves, but um, yeah, any number of those things. It totally depends on where and when and for what reason I'm performing. Again, if I'm performing at at this club at the jazz station where I've played many times, 
comfortable audience, comfortable with the band and the music. One minute before I'm playing, I'm just in the back room, just chilling, you know, just talking to the band. I'm not even worried. Uh, but maybe 10 minutes before that, I had been doing some of those trumpet things I was talking about, just big breaths, full sound, getting all over the horn. Again, it's just trying to get into that relaxed mental and physical space and gear up for connecting with the band and, and of course, connecting with the audience. So, you know, you don't want to be tired, that whole thing. So if you need to get yourself energized, then, then that's that's what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's not like a strict ritual, but things to get me relaxed and kind of energized. What is the best performance advice you've ever received? I think my instructor, Brian McWhorter, gave me good advice. The first time I ever did one of these competitions, I did the National Trumpet Competition my freshman year of college. And uh, his advice was just take a breath and play. And he always used to say, play the room, which doesn't mean just acoustics. It, it means the people. That doesn't mean change the way you play because Winton is in the audience or you know, Ryan Anthony's in the audience. That's not what it means. It just means play the room, you know, adapt and be sensitive, play with your band, listen and, you know, exchange. So yeah, just take a breath and play. And I'd give that to anybody, kind of the one, two, three, go thing, you know, one, two, three, jump. You know, if you think too much, you either won't do it or when you do it, you'll be freaking out about it. You might as well just get over it and go. So it's just like get up on stage, start playing, and play the room. All right. Let's say someone is struggling with stage fright and you have an opportunity to give them some advice. What would you tell them? Those two things. Honestly, I would say if you can't play after three, like you just got to play. You got to get up and just start playing. Hmm. And you you need to have your, your priorities straight. I mean, your priorities should not be yourself and your your chops that shouldn't be what your focus is you know so if if your symptoms of nervousness you know are just, just you know they display in they manifest themselves in chops and like trumpet issues or whatever your instrument is uh i think you need to take your mind off of that mm-hmm. i think your priorities need to be the band and the audience you know connecting with the in the musicians you're playing with making music together um and doing it for the people that are listening. And so for me, that, that totally helps. That's if somebody has stage fright, they're like worried, Oh, you know, I might make a mistake. It's like, that's because they're thinking about themselves. But if they think about the music as, as a gift for the audience or as this, you know, this relief that the audience gets to get from their regular life, or if they think of it as an opportunity to just create with the band, you know, one of the two or both of them, they think of either of those things. I think they'll get outside of their head and lose all that. It's the same thing with, sports you know if all you're thinking about is like oh i need my my left foot i need to dig in harder and oh my my calves or whatever it's like i mean that just that's not going to procure procure the best results so yeah think of it as a team effort and as an i mean i don't think a football player is thinking of you know his or her performance as like a you know a a gift to the (laughs) crowd that's like cheering right and it's a different thing but yeah I, i you need to get outside of your head and if that doesn't work, if if the one two three jump thing doesn't work, or if focusing on the band doesn't work, I think deep breaths. All right. You know that's kind of been tested for <laughs> years. Seems you know? to work. Seems to work. <laughs> um, or maybe 
if you're an improviser, this is easier, but just like quit playing for a second. And that doesn't, doesn't really help if you're playing classical music because you've got to play what's on the page. But just like stop. If like something's not working, just like just take 10 seconds. I mean, how hip is that? The reset your armature. Yeah, you're just, just like. Reset your mind. Yeah, but don't. Yeah, reset your mind. Just stop yeah. thinking about it. Just be like, right. music is fun. Like if music isn't fun, you're kind of doing something wrong. <laughs> you know, it can be deep and dark and expressive, but I mean, it's, it still needs to be entertainment right i mean music is entertainment even if it entertains to the broken hearted you know it needs to like <laughs> it, it always it always says something it's not always positive yeah or it pleasant is, yeah. But it always says something yeah all right this is the final question of the interview but it is a doozy so no philosophy we were assuming that you've connected with the audience so i don't want to hear that as an answer but uh this is a scenario it can be real it can be imagined totally up to you but you have just finished a performance and the audience is on its feet giving a standing ovation. They don't want any more and they don't want any less. Everything is absolutely perfect. What have you just done? Like, let me, let me explain because mm-hmm. people are struggling with this one. Like, wh- where did you play? Who did you play with? Uh, what did you play? It's like dream gig. Dream gig, yeah. But they don't want another tune. They don't want any more. <laughs> it's just perfect. Um, well, I mean, that happens here and there at the venues I play at in Eugene. Um, I wouldn't call any of those venues necessarily dream venues, but I can think of a performance I did at one of the bigger uh, performing arts halls in, in Eugene. That's at the Shed Institute. And that was, I did my own show back there in February. And that is, that's what happened. There was a standing ovation. But they didn't want more tunes. We didn't really have anything that was ready to be uh, performed afterwards. And, you know, we had played a set mostly of Art Blakey band tunes, mm-hmm. you know, the Messengers tunes. So, you know, tunes by Lee Morgan and Freddie Hubbard and all that. And it was a sextet, six-piece band, 10 songs. We'd crushed them. Last tune had that kind of crowd-pleaser flair to it. It was Caravan, I think, the Blakey arrangement yeah. of Caravan. And, yeah, the crowd went wild, but, like, in a, you know, in a tame way. And, right. yes, thank you so much. Um, it was all, It was also my first performance there as a band leader, um, and I'm super young to be performing there uh, as a band leader. So I'm super fortunate to have had that opportunity. I think people – and there was a lot of, there were a lot of people there, and I think they were super stoked about that whole thing. Um, so that those kind of elements, I think, combined to make that successful. So I'm not really sure. I mean, dream venue – yeah, I mean, one of the bigger, like, jazz, you know, like Rose Hall in New York, the, you know, Dizzy's or, you know, <laughs> Carnegie even, or, you know, some of those clubs in Europe. I mean, well, you know, one of those bigger jazz venues that are more prestigious, maybe a festival. And just a set of music with a group of musicians that is, again, super meaningful. I like my mu- music to have a lot of purpose to it. Um, and I think that if the band does its job and they're able to connect with the audience, I know you said I can't say that, but if, if the music is, if the band is connecting with, you know, with, with themselves, with each other and the music has that purpose to it and the crowd's in a good mood, you got to get them in a good mood. You know, you got to talk to them the right way and, and do all that. And, and they'll stand up and they might, but they might want one more. So <laughs> that, that's a, that's a funky scenario, but yeah, it that, that happened back in February. So um, there's something about, your your show having a great like arc to it too nice. you know not giving it away too early so program programming is something super important to me you know what tunes go when who solos when um when you talk what you say 
and I try to think about all that. And if I, if I do it right, then usually that happens. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, to clarify, I didn't say don't connect. Well, maybe <laughs> I did, but what I meant is make, don't make that the only thing that you say. <laughs> so this is episode 30 and I, fi- I, 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 went into this knowing that it would take people doing these interviews a a minute to figure out how to take this question, but I'm going to stick with it. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just type in jamesnewcomontrumpet.com into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon. <laughs>